Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Welcome in to Locked On Hornets on this Monday, your daily Hornets and NBA podcast coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in the hearts of the Queen City. I'm Doug Branson. With me today, the man, the myth, the legend on the road again, David Walker. What's that intro, bro? You like it? I like it. Yes. It's a little groovy. It's the official. Slot into your Mondays. It's the official start of the new season when I change the intro. I told you, like, I I change the intro every year because I can still, because we're not popular enough where people will not allow you to change. (laughs) But we we did get complaints last season. It's a good barometer for us about how popular we're getting because the more popular you get, the more complaints you get about change. So I hope. Bring the complaints. Bring yeah, the complaints. I, yeah. Please complain about that that intro change. Just the intro, though. No other complaints. <laughs> uh, Nick Denning of AtTheHive.com and Calamity James are on deck. We spoke to them yesterday. Uh, they've got some good things to say. We'll get to them here in a second. Uh, but first, David, I have to admit something. Mm-hmm. I'm boycotting the conference finals. I have been boycotting them because. I feel like the results are inevitable. I feel like we're heading towards Cavs Warriors. And I feel like if LeBron James can take half of the regular season off, essentially, coast, then then I don't have to watch the conference finals. This is what the NBA has created. I will not watch the conference finals. Totally justifiable. I think, Doug, I'm, I'm pretty much with you. I mean, when I saw that Kawhi was out on Saturday, that was that game. That was game three, Saturday. And uh, I guess he he might as well be out for the, for the series at this point, I hope. But when I saw he was out, I'm like, I'm out too. But I, I did check in on it. Um, for one, you, you never turn your back on the Spurs. You never know what they're going to do. Uh, they lost still, just for the record. Uh, and then last night, LeBron and the Cavs, I mean, I peeked in. And it was, you know, uh, you know it was like a 16-point game. Then it was a 7-point game. And that third quarter the Celtics had, I have to admit, I ended up watching the rest of that game. Um, and watching the Celtics come back and win. I mean, it was kind of exciting, even though I know that the next game they're probably going to pay for that with a little extra LeBron because he did not have a LeBron game last night. Well, that's the thing. So I I made a choice, and I understood that I may miss a pretty awesome game. And when I got up this morning and I saw, oh, the Celtics last second shot, Avery Bradley to win the game, I was like, oh, man, maybe, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should not have boycotted the conference finals. Maybe maybe the Cavs and the Celtics, even without Isaiah Thomas, maybe the Celtics somehow become a better team without Isaiah. Maybe I should have stayed and watched. And then I looked at the box score. And then I saw LeBron James was 4 of 13 for 11 right. points. And not only that, but I saw that Isaiah Thomas's replacement, Marcus Smart, hit seven three-pointers. He's a sub-30% <laughs> three-point shooter. He hit seven yeah. of 10 that's that's the kind of thing that that's happens the to the plan. Hornets, by the way. That's Listen, that's the game plan. That's, that's a Miami Heat against the Hornets kind of thing. So when I saw all of that, I said, you know what? I yeah. made the right decision. This was an anomaly. This thing's going five. Anyway, yeah, you know that's what? My and like and like Jarebko hit. 
I think two big three pointers down the stretch. I mean, the Celtics as a, as a team hit a barrage of threes, and then the, the game winner was like it wasn't a game winner that you're you're used to seeing where just like it rips the nets. I think it bounced up and around and off the backboard a couple Plinko. times, and and finally, yeah, finally dropped in with, with like a tenth of a second left. It was, I guess, the most anticlimactic game-winning three-pointer that you could imagine. But I mean, sounds awesome. You know, I'll see you in the finals. I, well, I would say this: you know, like, <laughs> it's weird that the Celtics are in this position now, but it felt a lot like when the Hornets got their first playoff win. It was like they were so excited. Uh, it seems impossible for them to win a game in this series and then it happened so i mean yeah i, I just had it on but let me just say this east coast cleveland east coast whatever is nine o'clock tip on a sunday night i mean come on that's that's the other thing i'm i'm, I'm a little perturbed about it. it's like yeah we got to get up and do the show we got to get up and do stuff like can't you start these games a little earlier I'm, I'm totally not gonna win that. No, you're not. not, not you're never going to win that argument because they got to get the West Coast in there. But anyway, I'll see you in the finals. All right, let's get Nick right. and Claire uh, in here. We talked to them yesterday, and we started off with a little listener mail. Let's take a listen. Well, let's start our morning off with a little listener mail. This one comes to us from Bdat Sigma Four. First of all, love the name, BDAT Sigma 4. Um, BDAT says, first off, I love the podcast and have been listening to it every morning since I moved from the Carolinas to Georgia. With not many national TV games, you all help me to stay abreast with the Hornets. Well, thank you, BDAT. Appreciate that. Always, always love the love. Personally, I would love for the Hornets to move down and get multiple draft picks in this draft. For instance, trading our 11th pick for the Portland Trailblazers 15th and 20th or the 26th pick. To me, this would allow us to take more of a flyer on a player who looks tantalizing, but are, but have some ifs, like a Terrence Ferguson, who I really like, Dwayne Bacon, or Hamdu Diallo. If you're a Rich Cho and the Hornets traded down, which boom or bust player outside of the lottery would you take a chance on? David? Great question. Well, we highlighted one last week. I mean, Harry Giles, for me, is that guy like around the 20 range. Uh, there were calls for him to be taken by the Hornets where they stand right now at 11. But I think at 20 or down in the latter part of the first round is where I would ideally like to see him taken just because of the potential. Um, and, the, of course, then you have the concerns. So I think uh, Harry Giles is my number one guy late uh, just be, just because, you know, he could be really good. We don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. I think Giles should be a later pick, but he may be a Thon Maker yeah. type of mystery that gets taken uh, in right. the first 15. Claire, what do you think? Um, honestly, either Harry Giles, I agree with it, or Justin Patton. I mean, they're both centers. Um, they're both freshmen coming out of uh, Duke and Creighton, respect, uh, respectively. And I think that if the Hornets are going to make a move, I would like to see either a center or a backup for Kemba being yeah. had. Um, and I, I don't know, though, if there's a whole lot of reliable backups for a a point guard in this draft though that's the only thing nick who you got who's the diamond in the rough for you i really like ferguson um he's kind of fits that mold of a three and d type of player um he's got length um he's got a great looking just on balance um spot up shot um you just go look at highlights he just you know it's just great shooting form um 
he's he's also got a pretty uh, pretty quick first step, so he's not like one of those limited you know spot up shooters that can't really take guys off the dribble. He's that's not his preferred thing, but he knows how to do it. So you know, there's some potential for him not just to be just a spot up shooter. I like Ferguson as well. He's he's one of those Australian guys, and honestly, Australian guys have been doing pretty well so far. Yeah, hey, not bad. Little Matthew yeah. Deladova. Yeah, Patty Mills. Because you're on, Doug. I like. I'm going to give you a name that I have not given anyone yet. Jonathan Jean, John John. Mm, yeah, from yeah from France. He's got a little bit of a Rudy Gobert thing going on. He's seven two. He's got a seven seven wingspan. The question with John John is: Is he the next Rudy Gobert, or is he the next Alexis Ajinka, who was also selected? By the Charlotte franchise, yes, yes he and now plays <laughs> what he plays for New Orleans. I don't know if he's still going to play for them next season, but yeah. Is so? Is it? Is it? You know, and and a lot of that has to do with the fact that he is so raw that he wasn't able to always stay on the court overseas, and that's scary when you when you go to draft a player that could not stay on the floor in overseas play, and then translate that to NBA success. But you cannot deny uh, his freakish. Uh, physical attributes, and I here's here's why I would be okay with taking a guy like Jonathan John in the near the bottom of the first round is because I think he's a player that you can plug in for some spot minutes to give you some rim protection in certain matchups in in years one and two, and then hope that there is that big man development that the basketball IQ comes that the defensive awareness comes and by year 3 and 4 he can be a Rudy Gobert impact type of player hey by the way Rudy Gobert all NBA uh, getting some talk for most improved player so you know you've got you've got that kind of ceiling you've got that kind of upside with a guy like John John that could be a player that I would say again and, and it's what we what we've been talking about and a lot of fans I think want to see the Hornets do in this draft is take a swing and then criticize them later on when it doesn't work <laughs> Right. Uh, yeah. How do you guys how do you guys feel about Bam Adebayo in one of these late first round picks? I think he'd add some athleticism to that front court a little bit. Yeah, I like. I mean, I like Bam because he's thick. Yeah, I think you know that's the that's the other thing. That's John John is not. I mean, he's he's lanky. He's not very he's not very thick. He's not very strong inside. And I would love to see the Hornets get stronger inside, get more physical, because you know they had some problems defensively this season and they had some problems in rebounding as well because they could not get physical enough so it'd be nice to see them get some physicality get some size and strength inside and a guy like bam could deliver that yeah and i think bam looks like a um, i mean yeah he, he looks like he could be good and it looks like he could kind of plug up the middle a little bit which is but at the same time i mean he's kind of a power forward and we already have so many of those. I would like to get like a true center rather than just a power forward, though, you know? Well, another guy that's kind of physical like that, and he's probably more of a power forward as well, but um, Isaiah um, Hardenstein, I think is how you say his name, played in Germany this year. Um, I think he has like, he's an American mother and a German father. Um, but very, very aggressive and physically, you know, physical type of player, um, you know, uses his body well, has actually pretty good size for, I think he's only like, eight, he's, I think he might be 19 years old. So despite him being young, he's actually pretty physical and pretty well built. Mm-hmm. Um, good inside scoring game, actually decently agile as well. I, I've been reading things that says he could actually um, defend off a of pick and roll, which is, you know, we'd, that'd be nice. Um, 
but he's not exactly like they, they want him to be a, a per, okay. Tell me if you've heard this before. Um, you know, they think he has potential from the perimeter, um, but he still needs to work on it. So that's, um, you know, that seems familiar. Um, but I think there's a, a big difference between if the Hornets stay where they are, right, at 11, they're, they're still right in that window of uh, of the top, of the like the grade A beef in this draft, right, like the top choices. And I think if they fall back, trade back much past that, it's just a different strategy, a different way of thinking about their draft to me because I think you can still get a guy, especially depending on if guys fall, you know, in those first 10 picks if something crazy happens, if the Kings do something Kingsian, uh, and you, and you get a surprise like a like a Dennis Smith who my, who I bring up on every show has fallen to the Hornets, but it's just it seems like a different area of the draft and a different. I don't know if you're taking more of a swing late, but I think it's certainly less of a sure thing. I mean, obviously, less of a sure thing the the, the uh, further down you go in that first draft. And if there's one team, right. if, if there's one team in the top fifteen that could afford to move down, I think it would be the Hornets. To go back to the original question of like, would it be worth it to trade down um, in order to get a couple more picks within the first round? Honestly, it really just depends on like whether or not the Hornets are willing to put in the necessary time for player development. I mean, look at someone like Noah Vonley, who we drafted a few years ago. Um, you know, he was the best option in the draft at that time. And he was hurt coming into the preseason or, well, he got hurt during the off season. I think it was, during summer league or something like that. Anyways. Um, and as a result, he couldn't play during the preseason. So coach Clifford kept him out the next year. He was traded granted. He was traded with Gerald, uh, Henderson for Nick Batum. But at the same time, that just kind of goes to show that the Hornets are kind of impatient when it comes to player development. And if you're going to trade down into, in the draft to get a couple more of these players, you have to be a little bit more willing to, um, to, to invest in that. Also, on the flip side, not to completely contradict myself, but I'm going to do that anyway. Um, when Noah Vonley was drafted, we didn't have the Swarm. So now that we do have the Swarm, maybe the Hornets would be more willing to invest in player development. I don't know. David, award season is kicking off in the NBA. They announced some of the finalists for awards like Most Valuable Player, Improved Player, etc. But they also announced the All-NBA teams. And this year, it has a little bit of extra impact. This is the first year that the size of uh, some of the contract extensions are affected by things like All-NBA voting through the designated veteran player extension rules signed in the last uh, CBA this uh, past summer. The new rule opens up extra years and money that teams like the Pacers and the Jazz could use for franchise players like Paul George and Gordon Hayward. Um, Hayward is entering free agency this season, Paul George the next season. Um, If those players qualify, but uh, Paul George and Gordon Hayward did not make the list And now some attention is turning to the voters, that would be the media members. Some, like ESPN's Darren Rovell, are criticizing them for, quote, you know, essentially costing George and Hayward money. Uh, David, do we think that's fair? What are they supposed to do? Not vote, I guess. I don't understand that. That's the system they have, right? This was agreed upon in in the CBA, right? Correct. Yeah, I guess philosophically, should media members be deciding something like, well, not something like All-NBA voting. They've always voted on All-NBA voting, but should it be tied to money? Should it be tied to a player's future? 
That's the tricky part. Didn't we see some people, did anyone, you know, abstain from all-star voting for that reason? Or am I thinking of something else? I mean, there's, it seems like there's been a bit of a backlash prior to this. Does that ring any bells for you? No. You know what I'm talking about? I, 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 some, want I, thought, to know, I, thought, I want to know what you're talking about, but it, that, that doesn't some, ring any bells for me. Yeah, I thought we had some media members either, either say or, you know, voice their displeasure because of this. I mean, I, they don't want to cost anybody money, right? So, I mean, it's probably a weird position for them to be in, but you think they might have to fix this in the next go round or, 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 you know, adjust these uh, parameters. Well, I don't, I don't think so. Look, I mean, they, they agreed to this. I mean, maybe if the players decide that they, they didn't like what they agreed to, but this was something that the players knew about and and agreed to. And and the thing is the reason, so the, the designated veteran player rule is essentially to, to help franchises keep their franchise players and and to benefit those players by giving them more money and more years yeah. but you have to somehow decide who qualifies for uh as a franchise player and the way they decided right. to do that was through uh, MVPs through uh and we have Derrick Rose rule and a, and a couple of other things like uh, that to you help You know what it was Anthony Davis last year right like he didn't make the third team Mm. Didn't that happen this time last year? And there was uh, some sort of contract bonus for him that he did not qualify for. Yeah, probably the Rose Rule. Yeah. So, but they agree, they agreed to it. So that that's my yeah. thing. So you know, right. I think I think this is totally fair. And then we have to talk about do did Paul George or Gordon Hayward really deserve to be on the All NBA team as it's as it's structured? Like I look at the first right. team: Harden, Westbrook, James, Leonard, Davis. Second team: Curry, Isaiah Thomas. Kevin Durant, Antetokounmpo, Rudy Gobert, and then third team, John Wall, DeMar DeRozan, Jimmy Butler. And I'm missing my second page, but I know that it was DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, Draymond and DeAndre Jordan. I don't know where you slot Paul George and, and Gordon Hayward within that forward structure because Jimmy Butler was better statistically than both Paul George and Gordon Hayward. Now, if you want to make some argument about, well, Hayward got his team to the playoffs and led his team, yeah. I, I think you could. But just based on based on the numbers, based on performance, uh, your third team players, Butler uh, and Draymond, I, I think played better than George and Gordon Hayward. Yeah, and you think the Jazz kind of got the nod with Gobert, right? Like they got their representative there. Uh, well, well that's the center air. thing, David. Yeah, that's true. We could that's drop. True. We could we could drop into that. So the the part of this, part of what makes this weird, is that the basketball, the NBA, is becoming increasingly positionless. But you still vote on a center. That's why Gobert, uh, Anthony Davis, and DeAndre Jordan are all NBA. Is yeah, that, maybe is that Gobert. Fair? I mean, maybe Gobert makes it. Anyway, I mean, I think his presence on defense and what he does for that team is pretty huge, but. The all-star team doesn't have centers, so it's like I think they need to develop a little bit of consistency. If they're going to do all-star game centers, they need to do uh, all-NBA centers and vice versa. You know what I mean? It just it kind of makes sense to stick with it. Um, the all-star game is more for the fans, I guess, but that stuff does matter. Um, we're talking about legacies and, and things like that. So we always talk about it. They're going away from the centers, but now they're maybe be like a center renaissance. I mean, <laughs> you can't keep up with it, but. It feels like such a guard-heavy league, like you were saying, uh, that you kind of want to make room for the guys that are dominating the game or the positions that are, right? Yeah, it's guard-heavy now, and these things tend to be cyclical. We'll we'll probably, in the next decade or so, see a 
reaction to that, and maybe the league goes bigger at some point. Um, I don't think that this All-NBA should go completely positionless. I've heard some arguments out there on different podcasts and and, uh, blogs for that, uh, to just basically select the 15 best players. That seems... That seems arbitrary. Like why? Then why fifteen? Like we do fifteen because we do three All NBA teams for five players each because there's five players on the floor. Then right. why do fifteen? Like if you start taking positions completely out of it, then what does anything mean anymore? I don't. I, now I do agree with you. I think maybe we should look at the, having the same rules for the All Star selections, which is two guards, three forwards. Why not do that? You're not seeing a ton of three guard lineups. It's still essentially yeah. two smalls and three bigs. Yeah, and then, I mean, you know, it's like maybe this is some way of everyone getting a piece of the pie, like everyone getting their shine. I'm all for like, pie. I love pie. Yeah. I love like people Kimba, getting pie. Kemba got zero votes for the uh, All-NBA team, but did make a first-year All-Star team this year, right, which was a cool experience. Like, it's going to be tough for him to crack any of these voting for, especially the guard position, All-NBA, but he can get his – his notice and his due um, around all-star time. So I don't know. It's when you're talking about money though, I, I wonder if there'll, 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 there'll be some sort of um, reaction, but I mean, they put this in place to kind of avoid like the Kevin Durant situation um, that took place last off season. So, and the it's question would would it, and, and, and then there's this other question which we won't tackle right now. Cause we got to talk about the draft some more with uh, Nick and Claire, but then there's this other question about would that have mattered? In the right. Kevin Durant session, we we keep we keep trying to throw, we, yeah we keep did. trying to throw money or, or franchises you know these small and medium market owners and these CBAs keep trying to throw money and years into this situation and more and more it seems like that doesn't matter that players are still they'll sacrifice you know uh, a six to seven million over the course of a uh, a two hundred million dollar career and, and just to go somewhere and play and win championships. Yeah, so I don't I know mean, if any of this, if any of this will market, affect things anyway. Yeah, in a small market, I mean that's a good point. Though, like this should be something that uh, fans of the Hornets and, and the small market teams should be in favor of, right? I mean that's the goal to kind of level the playing field and give these teams that have these players a better opportunity to retain them, uh, which is good. I mean I think that effort is 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 noble, right? It's just uh, there's no perfect answer. Okay, let's go out uh, back out to Nick and Claire. We talked to them yesterday. We're going to get back to the draft. Enjoy this. All right, time now for our latest draft profile. This week's victim is Duke guard Luke Kennard. I spoke with Amrith Ramkamor, who covered him as a member of the Chronicle, Duke's student newspaper. All right, let's talk about Luke Kennard. Uh, CBS Sports called his season the most unexpected, spectacular season in 2016-17. Do you agree with that assessment? And and if so, why? I can't really think of a more unexpected season, so I think I definitely would agree with that just because Kennard wasn't even supposed to start for this Duke team uh, heading into this season. He was supposed to come off that bench, come off the bench, and really be the spark plug early on. While guys like Tatum and Giles and Grayson Allen asserted themselves in the scoring column, so I think from that perspective, the fact that he had one of the most efficient 
prolific offensive seasons in Duke history from, from a guard. I, it was really just so unexpected because a lot of people expected him to come off the bench, if that makes sense. I think a lot of people knew this is something Tenard could be capable capable of down the road, but I don't think anyone expected that to happen in 2016-17 for a team with such high expectations, and that was expected to have really balance that never fully materialized. So I think it was the combination of the fact that a lot of guys were hurt, and then even when they did get healthy, Duke never had that depth that allowed Kennard to really flourish and become the team's go-to offensive player. Well, when he did become a go-to offensive player, what made him so uh, dangerous in that role uh, this past season? Definitely consistency shooting the ball from the perimeter. A lot of people seem to take it for granted that he was just a knockdown perimeter shooter. But if you look at his numbers as a freshman, he was only at 32% from beyond the arc and had a lot of really up and down games. Some games he was really locked in and others he was just not on balance and looked a bit rushed from the perimeter. So I think the combination, again, of him really getting settled in from beyond the arc and getting the same pattern going and rotating his body, getting on balance, elevating, rising, and firing. Uh, that really helped him a lot. He was up well over 40% for almost the entire season. And then what really set him over the top was his just footwork and patience in the lane. He was able to drive in and oftentimes use an array of fakes and jukes to get defenders off balance and finish inside. So and that really made him tricky because then he was able to set up the other parts of this game with a step-back jumper, uh, collapsing the defense, setting up teammates, all the things that made him so special on the offensive end for Dukes this season. So I think, again, a lot of those traits seem to translate to the next level, and he has really good size for a guard. So it'll be very interesting to see where he goes in the draft. And what do you think could limit his uh, ceiling in terms of his development in the NBA? Uh, personally, I think it's his ability to defend uh, other twos and threes, uh, other elite twos and threes, really. Uh, I, it depends whether you think of Kennard as a guy who, again, would come off the bench and be a spark plug, or if you want him to be a franchise cornerstone who like plays heavy minutes, starts at the two, and potentially defends some threes as well. I think defensively, if you look at his tape from the past season, there were still a lot of times where he struggled, especially in like pick-and-roll situations and some help, help side situations. So uh, I think depending on how much teams value that and how much they think he can improve in that area moving forward, that would really depend. Because a lot of the other aspects of his game are really incredible. I mean, two games, so that doesn't seem to be too big of a concern. His passing, as I mentioned before, when defenses did kind of flock to him, was pretty solid as well. So I think defense would be the main concern for Kennard. And what do you see his ideal? I mean, it looks like he, he's probably going to be drafted in the back half unless um, you know he has another uh, uptick in his, in his stock. I mean, where do you see, what's the ideal landing spot for him? What kind of team would really benefit from having a Luke Kennard on their team? I really think a team that needs a knockdown perimeter shooter, to be honest with you, I, I still view that as his biggest strength and something that translates immediately to the next level just because his range is so impressive. It doesn't it didn't seem like he was always having to be just beyond the three point line, a few feet behind, uh, in rhythm, like dribbling into threes in transition, even by the end of the season he was ready to rise and fire. So I think a team that has a need again for someone to come in immediately and contribute in that area would really help him be comfortable and find his niche really quickly. And then from there, I think you would see the other parts of his game develop. And I think a situation, by contrast again, where 
there were a lot of guys in the backcourt with similar skill sets and he wasn't really sure where he fit in might be a bit more challenging just because he would probably be looking to find his way quickly as well. Big thanks to Amrith Ramkamor uh, of the Chronicle Deuce student newspaper covered Luke Kennard uh, for a couple of years there. David, uh, what's the fit in Charlotte? Well, shooting, I think, is the main thing you heard from that. They can certainly use some more outside shooting, and Kennard can certainly do that. I was really impressed watching him last year. He was really nice as an offensive you know, playmaker. Scorer. Yeah, playmaker, um, and really crafty, right? Like, was was able to get a good feel for the game and use his body to kind of shield guys off and get in odd spaces, especially in the college game where he could affect the game and score um, efficiently. My concern with him is one defense, of course, but then the other part that this this Hornets team is looking to add is like an explosive player on the wing, somebody that can finish above the rim um, and attack that that way, and that's not really Kennard's game. I mean, he's not going to give you those high-flying finishes or, uh, or, or you know, any of those explosive plays near the basket. And, you know, we've said before, they're not going to get everything they want, I think, at 11 in, in most of these players, but... Um, he, does he feel like Marco Bellinelli 2.0 to you? A little bit, but I don't think – I think Marco has a better shot physically of guarding twos and threes. Yeah, now he does it – his aw- see, that's the thing. It's sort of opposite. It's like Bellinelli's awareness is not very good, but is he's physically able to guard twos and threes, where Kennard, I think, <laughs> has solid fundamentals, but just f- physically – uh, struggles with blow buys and 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 guys that can post him up as well. You know, it's weird. Like Justin Jackson's shoulders freaked you out, right? Yeah. Kennard's wingspan is six five. He's six six. That's that's kind of weird, right? Well, that's fine. I'm fine with it on a shooter. You want you kind of you want short arms on a on a sharpshooter because it's it's less. They just defense. Well, not on deep. Well, that's a hey. Listen, you, you're not going to get any argument out of me. I said Luke Kennard. He brought up the whole pita bread thing. He's not pita bread. He's not the complete order. I need my pita bread. <laughs> I need my defense. Nick, how concerned are you if the Hornets select Kennard at eleven? I, I'd be concerned because I think, like you know, we talked about uh, falling, like you know, dropping back. I think he'd be a player I'd be okay with at like sixteen to twenty. Um, but like the thing is, you know, with with when I look at Kennard, I see, you know, you're you, like anyone that drafts Kennard should draft him with the idea of him like, OK, this is going to be a role player for us. And I know that like the Hornets are drafting 11th and the 11th pick hasn't been the ideal place to find, you know, a star player. I mean, it's happened. Clay Thompson, you know, but I think they need to kind of you know, again, this was brought up before. They need to take a chance here and you're not taking a chance with Kennard. You're taking a, a skill set. Mm-hmm that you hope could develop into, you know, maybe maybe he could develop into something more. And you're not really changing that, that dynamic of the team, right? Like you're not adding the athleticism or you're not improving that kind of perimeter defense either. I mean, you can always look at shooting. I don't know how many dead-eye shooters there really are in this draft. I mean, what do you think? There's like Monk, there's Markinen. That's a great point. I mean, wing shooting is at a um, premium in this draft, but I don't think what you I don't think what you ever want to do is catch yourself drafting based on what's available. You know, just because you think, right. oh, well, I need wing shooting. There's not a lot of wing shooting. I'll go get Kennard. I don't think that that's a great way to draft. I, I don't. I don't really assume that that would be the way that that show and company would draft. I think they're a little, little wiser than that. David. 
David, uh, you wrote an article on AtTheHive.com. That's breaking news in and of itself. You're back in the writing game. What's it all about? I flexed the muscles, dog. I got to stretch it out, you know. But if, How did if it you're feel? a writer, it, <laughs> it felt nice. You cramp up it at all? New at oh, in yeah. A brain cramp or two, for sure, yeah. That carpal tunnel, that's tricky. But, yeah. Doug, we talked about this little thing that goes around every time the Hornets are trying to add players to their roster. It's the old tropes that get repeated again and again. The big, tall, white guy, you know, the guy from Carolina and uh, the the, uh, the NCAA tournament hero. That seems to be the three themes for Hornets' uh, pattern of, of drafting. And it's people always repeat it, Doug. And, and we, what did we get an email on it last week, right? Like we're always saying they're going to draft the big, tall, white guy, but that's that's a real thing. That's a national thing that people just keep mm-hmm. beating. Uh, so, I, yeah, so we took a look at it. I mean, and if you just look at the draft picks since MJ came back, I mean, not many of them hold water. Certainly the North Carolina thing is patently false for the most part. They've never drafted a Carolina player and kept him on the roster. Um, and, and some of the other ones, I mean, I don't know. You, you read this article too, but I think recency bias and just the roster construction last year lends itself to the, the big, tall, white guy thing. Because let's face it, I mean, there were a lot of big, tall, white guys on the roster last year at one point or another. Yeah, they, they technically, I guess they, they technically acquired P.J. Hairston in the draft, but not in the lottery. Right, um, right. That's the only care. And, then, and, and it then, was a trade. And, and it was a trade, and it was he was with the Texas Legends, so it's like... That's yeah. that's definitely in the technicality realm, uh, but it was a very interesting article. I don't want to give too much of it away because you deep dived this, so definitely go check it out right now on atthehive.com because we are out of time. Thanks so much for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and while you're there, give us a five-star review. It helps hardcore Hornets fans like yourself find this podcast. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com. We're back again tomorrow with more draft analysis and news from around the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA for David and Nick and Claire. Thanks to them for joining us. I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte. Ooh.